Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here in Temporary Studios in Florence, South Carolina. We're going to be at the Florence Baptist Temple with Pastor Bill Monroe. Boy, I've been here for the last 20 years, almost every year, sometimes every other year, and we just have had a great opportunity with the crowd that is at this church, 1,500 to 2,000, who come to study the Word of God with us, in particular, the prophetic Word of God, which we're going to be doing all day tomorrow, a one-day prophecy conference at the Florence Baptist Temple, Florence, South Carolina. I want you to recognize the times, 10.30 a.m. in the morning, 6 p.m. in the evening, and some very important messages to talk about up-to-date information, current events that are happening, and we'll reveal what we believe the Bible says about those current events and how the urgency of the moment will come out of the study of God's prophetic word. Florence Baptist Temple, right here in Florence, South Carolina. Well, let's go to our broadcast partners. They have some great reports for us today. We're going to go first, as we always do, to Ken Timmerman, who looks at geopolitical activities. For about six weeks or so, we talked with him in southern France. He's back home. He's there in his location in Florida and uh, having a great time. But I imagine the summer months are not as good as the winter months there in Florida, are they, Ken? Oh, I love it, Jimmy. Uh, We moved down from Maryland. I wonder why we didn't do it five years earlier. It's great. (laughs) Well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you have a home place that you really enjoy. Ken, we talked on the broadcast that you and I had Uh, on, I guess it was Thursday, the Stand in the Gap radio broadcast, and you were one of my guests on looking at prophetic things happening around the world in other locations other than the Middle East. But we have to talk about Iran, even though they are in the Middle East, they are a threat to the entire world. And it looks like Iran has set up some type of a command center there in Syria putting in place opportunity for attack the United States and Israel. What do we know about this? Well, what's interesting about this is that the Iranians have moved to Abu Kamal. Abu Kamal is on the border between Syria and Iraq. It's actually the border crossing from Syria to Iraq, and it's part of their land bridge that they opened up about a year and a half ago between Iran through Iraq into Syria right up to Israel's border. But what's interesting about it, Jimmy, is that before they moved to Abu Kamal, they were much closer. Their headquarters was much closer to the Israeli border. So really what's happening is that the Israelis, through airstrikes, have pushed them back, pushed them back, pushed them back towards Iraq. And so now they are really in the uh, as far east as you can get in Syria, right, away from Israel, and that's where they've set up. So I see this really as a retreat more than as an aggressive move uh, because it shows that they've been pushed back by the Israelis. Okay, they're close to U.S. positions in Iraq, in Abu Kamal. That is for sure. Um, and the, the Iranians clearly are using their militias inside Iraq to challenge the United States and to keep pressure on the United States. But nevertheless, I still see this as a retreat not as a move forward. Well, I would agree with you, Ken. It does look to all the information we have as a retreat, but at the same time, it solidifies 
that land bridge that Iran wants to get all the way over to the Mediterranean, doesn't it? Well, it solidifies the, the land bridge if they can keep the Mediterranean portion of it open. But the Israelis, I think, have been putting a lot of pressure on them recently, and the Russians have not protected the Iranians in Syria, as we had at some point we had expected them to do. And now uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, just this past week, he was visiting a, uh, an airbase with the new F-35 aircraft, stealth aircraft that Israel has received from the United States. Uh, this is a, a, a very significant increase in Israel's air power. And uh, I, I think it's um, a challenge for the Iranians. Well, and that, that meeting there at that air base, Netanyahu, the prime minister, he stood in front of the media and he warned Iran. He said, hey, look, this aircraft has the range to hit any spot in Iran. So you better be aware of the fact we can come after you if we believe that's what we need to do. Well, that's right. And the F-35 has significant new capabilities. It's a stealth aircraft. It's an uh, beyond-the-visible-horizon attack aircraft, which means that it can launch missiles uh, against other aircraft and against land targets over the horizon, which is a new capability. It's a very long standoff range, attacking targets something like 200 miles uh, distant from where the aircraft is actually flying. So this gives the Israelis significant new range. It makes it easier for them should they decide to attack a target in Iran, should they decide to attack Abu Kamal on the border with Iraq, this is a new capability, and they are stealth aircraft. You know, it's also interesting that uh, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, was in the Middle East trying to put together a coalition of allies, and that seems to have come into focus and much better in structure as of now. They seem to be wanting to get ready to patrol the waters off Iran, and we talked earlier this week on another broadcast about what was going on there in uh, the Gulf, the Persian Gulf. Uh, that's a good decision made by the United States to form this coalition, wasn't it? Well, that's right. And the, the talk now is of maritime patrols similar to what we had in 1987, 1988, when Iran did what it's doing today in an earlier version. So the Iranians have done this before. They've attacked oil tankers before. They've threatened to close the Strait of Hormuz before, and we are doing, a, you know, in a, in a way what we did in that earlier time as well, assembling an international coalition, getting ships from different countries. Uh, we've used Dutch minesweepers, for example, in the past. Uh, my guess is that the United States is going to call on Holland and, and France and other NATO members to provide ships that can be useful in this scenario, either minesweepers or escort ships to uh, escort oil tankers going in and out of the Persian Gulf, but also going through the Bab el-Mandad, which is into the Red Sea. This is where the Iranian proxy militia, the Houthis in Yemen, have been targeting ships as well. So you have this two-pronged effort uh, of maritime patrols in the Persian Gulf, uh, through the Strait of Hormuz, and then through the Bab el-Mandad, which is in between Yemen and the African continent going into the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. Ken, often we've talked about Russia building up its military forces, spending just billions of dollars in order to be able to do that. Now there's a report out that the Russian military is going to, they have a plan to use swarms of lethal 
drones to go after the United States and their enemies there in the Middle East. I mean, is this an uptick in what they are doing militarily? It is, and uh, they're, they're talking about using small drones, commercial-sized drones, to drop small bombs, maybe a pound, maybe a couple of pounds to start with, uh, and find them in storms against targets so that even if they can take down, the United States forces can take down, you know, half of them or three-quarters of them, you know, some get through and they, they you know, reach their targets uh, with lethal capability. I, I would be surprised to learn that the United States is not doing similar things uh, with our military using smaller armed drones. But it's interesting that, that the Russians want us to know this. This is the kind of thing that they're now publicizing. That they have taken a lesson from the Palestinian Islamic Jihad and some of the terror groups in the Middle East who are using these same tactics. And so now the Russian military is doing it itself. They call it the jihadi-style drones. One of my other broadcast partners is David James. He's actually, for the last couple of weeks, been in Africa. He was in Ethiopia and then in Uganda, gave us reports from on the ground there. But I mentioned Africa only to talk about Russia and China. Uh, They seem to have formed a partnership, a geopolitical offensive, that they're on a task to try to militarize Africa with Russian and Chinese military weapons and personnel and whatever they need. What do you know? Well, it's going to be interesting to see whether the Russians and the Chinese cooperate in Africa or whether they come into conflict because, uh, you know, China for the past, I'd say 15, 20 years, has invested enormous amounts of money to essentially buy up all the natural resources in Africa that they possibly can. And they will protect them with their own troops. Uh, They're using prison labor as well to build roads and to build factories. And now the Russians are getting into the act. Just recently, they've gotten contracts in the Central African Republic, which is right in the center of Africa, as its name would suggest where they are going to be rebuilding the military. They're bringing in private militias to do this. They're delivering weapons. They're training government forces and also handling the personal protection for the president. This is new. Uh, this is new for the Russians. We haven't seen this since the Cold War when you know they were involved in the Congo and other places in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. Uh, Russia has not been back in Africa since then. So uh, to see them confident enough, wealthy enough, to be able to deploy assets in Africa, military assets, and to win friends and allies through arms sales and security training, I think it's a significant development. We'll have to see how far they go and whether the U.S. or the French, who consider Africa their backyard, uh, actually intervene to, to try to put a check on the Russians. And this point of information Russia's mentioned in Ezekiel 38 as the leader of that coalition of nations to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And there are a number of African nations as well in that alignment of nations. That's why I go to Ken with the information he just gave us. Ken, thank you so much. We appreciate that your report is key to our understanding in the times in which we are living And we need you, buddy. Thank you for being available. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, David Dolan is standing by. He's going to give us a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in my temporary studios in Florence, South Carolina. We're here because I'm going to be at the Florence Baptist Temple all day Sunday, 1030 in the morning, 6 p.m. in the evening. This is a great church. They run upwards of about almost 2,000 people. They're going to be there to study the prophetic word of God. We're looking forward to being with Pastor Bill Monroe. Do you know that he used to be the piano player for the Oak Ridge Boys? Pastor Monroe now pastoring a great church. Uh, the Florence Baptist Temple there in Florence, South Carolina. That's where we'll be all day Sunday. That's where we are here in our temporary studios. Well, I'm ad-libbing because we are not able to get a hold of David Dolan. I told you in the last segment with Ken Timmerman, we'd next have a Middle East news update with David Dolan. And so every Friday I get together with Brandon House. He has a program, Worldview Weekend Radio, and he invites me on Fridays. I'm so privileged to be able to be with him. And we talk about the Middle East, what's happening in Israel, the city of Jerusalem, and the prophetic significance of all of that. Now, when we get together, many times I have an agenda we want to talk about, but if something's going on, we just chase rabbits and go following that particular theme, and that's what we talk about. Well, on Friday, I was there, and we were talking about some of the events happening in Israel, and then we were talking, and Brandon said, hey, you know, I just recently went to see Fiddler on the Roof, and boy, that got us in a long conversation. I've seen the movie, oh, maybe six, eight times, I don't know. I've never seen it on the stage. Brandon saw it there in Memphis on the stage, and it was an exciting production, and it brought out great information about what we would think about anti-Semitism today, did it not, Brandon? 
Oh, indeed it did. Thank you for having me. And, you know, I, I'd seen Filler on the Roof as a, as a play in junior high, but I had not seen it since. And so my wife and I, this uh, early in 2019, went to the Orpheum in Memphis and saw it, and we uh, sat in the second row, and it was a packed house, and it was a beautiful play. And as I sat there, Dr. DeYoung, I thought, how many of these folks realize that the story of Filler on the Roof is still repeating itself in modern times? And as Folks know it's the story of this Jewish family in Russia that builds a, a life. They build a farm. He's uh, got dairy cattle, and he's milking those cows, and he's selling milk, and he's selling cheese and the things that come from his farm. And then the Russians tell him they've got to leave. That all these Jews have got to pack up and get out. And so the life they built, the rocks they cleared off the land, the trees they cleared, the home they built, the barns they built, the fences and gates and, and corrals they built, all gone. They must leave it and walk off. And this is, as you know, the history of the Jewish people. And this, of course, as we talked about today, is why so many of them went into law and banking and other things, because every time they got a plot of land, it would be stolen from them. Well, what's going on today in 2019? Once again, the attempt to steal from the Jewish people that which is rightfully theirs, their land. And so I thought as this very packed-out house of the Orpheum uh, in Memphis uh, gave a rousing standing ovation for many minutes to this calf, I thought, how many of these folks that love this story uh, don't, don't agree with the injustice? Talk about social justice today. Where are the people concerned about the justice of Israel and them being treated correctly? And they don't agree with this story, what happened to them. And they're applauding the, the, the actors who, who carried out this play, telling this history. And they're, they're thanking the actors and actresses for telling us this story and history. But do they realize it's not history? It's history plus current news. This is what they're doing to Israel. They're once again trying to steal their land, are they not, Dr. DeYoung? They certainly are. And the book of Ezekiel, chapter 35, says that these people will rise up, kill the Jewish people, and then steal their land. That's exactly what the prophetic passage in God's Word says will be in the end times. Well, this production that you saw, Fiddler on the Roof, and I'm looking forward to trying to see that production, the same one you saw, by the way, when it comes into Chattanooga the first of next year. I want to be able to see that. But the entire production is speaking of and helping us to recognize anti-Semitism in our world today. You've done a lot of production. You had a a, a big event out in the Ozarks with a group of men, great teachers, talking about the coming Holocaust. And that's a, a part of what the end result of is anti-Semitism. I mean, this is a major threat to our world today. Would you not agree, Brandon? Oh, indeed it is. And you know that better than just about anybody. And, and we call it our event Holocaust Horizon. We filmed it with three cameras, a swinging boom, and it will be a movie that we release in uh, 2020, Holocaust Horizon, and the subtitle is The Global Persecution of Christians, Jews, and Conservatives by a Red-Green Axis and False Church. And, of course, that Red-Green Axis is Marxism and Islam, the red being Marxism, the green being Islam, and it's the jihadi flags of Saudi Arabia and all these other nations that have green in their, their flags and their jihadi nations. And so the Marxists and Muslims, the red-green axis, are uniting. And sadly, what's uniting with them is a false dominant church that's buying into replacement theology and anti-Semitism and these things. And, and, and Christ at the checkpoint there with liberals like uh, Jim Wallace or Lynn Hybels, Bill Hybels' wife. So we're seeing that. And as you know, the Bible tells us that many of these Jews will be wiped out. There'll be another Holocaust that comes. And I think we're, it's on the horizon. We're seeing the stage being set. 
And uh, I just saw a piece today from the Jerusalem Post as well, written by a guy, why anti-Semitism? He makes several points. One of them is envy and jealousy. And he talks about the things that the Jewish people have done and accomplished, and we can talk a little bit about that. But, you know, what's interesting, doesn't the Bible, Dr. DeYoung, talk about the Jewish people blessing the world, that the Jewish people are not a curse, as some think, that the Bible speaks of them as actually blessing the world, the Jewish people? Brandon, in Isaiah, the prophet said that the Jewish people will be a light unto the Gentiles and bless the Jewish people. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 says, if you bless the Jews, the Jews will be blessed, and then God will bless each and every one of us who have been excited about blessing the Jewish people. Now, that doesn't mean we have to agree with every political decision that Israel makes. I mean, they may make some decisions contrary to the Word of God. But in general, we've got to love and protect and bless the Jewish people. And this anti-Semitism that is running rampant across the world has to be dealt with, and it seems like we're not really dealing with it the way it should. You were talking about a coming Holocaust. That's absolute, because Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8 says, during the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time between the rapture and the second coming of Christ, during that period of time, there will be two-thirds of the Jews that are going to be killed. That one-third that's left, they will come to know Christ as Lord and Savior during the tribulation. But the other two-thirds, they are going to be killed. That will be the worst Holocaust to ever hit this world. And we watch each and every moment as this is continuing to develop along the way, not only here in the Middle East and in particular with the nations going against the Jewish state of Israel, but here in America as well. I mean, don't you see it? You've written about it. You've talked about it. You've spoken about it. Have you not? Oh, yeah. The the anti-Semitism I see coming uh, and from people, by the way, Dr. DeYoung, that call themselves Christians, evangelicals, that are buying into this anti-Semitism. You know, I think this article in the Jerusalem Post, this guy hit the nail on the head in many regards, but one of it, he speaks about the jealousy, the envy uh, that, the, that many of these anti-Semites have, because the Jewish people are a very intelligent people that have made great advances. I mean, you just talk about medical technology alone, um, he writes, medical science and technology advances made by Jews and Isra- Israelis also provide a long list of innovations that benefit mankind. There you go, benefit mankind. The Bible said that Jews would be a blessing to the world. And here he is reporting it in the Jerusalem Post. He says, more than one revolutionary cancer treatment is currently undergoing critical trials, or clinical trials. Twelve Israelis have won the Nobel Prize in the last 50 years. Per capita, that's the most on the planet. During the 20th century, Jews won 138, or 21 percent, of all Nobel Prizes. Quite an accomplishment for a people that accounts for only 0.2 percent of the world's population. But rather than acknowledging these achievements, that in most cases are to the benefit of mankind, a substantial proportion of the world's population respond by being resentful. It should be borne in mind that much anti-Semitism and malice derives from the feelings of inferiority that are, are real or imagined and are enormously powerful motivators as a result often resulting in acts of aggression. So he goes on to talk about their successes and their technology and advancement is blessing mankind, just as the Bible said, but it's also causing many to be jealous. And they see people who are very, very successful, very, very wealthy, that have Jewish last names, and then they start attacking the Jews. But this attack on the Jewish people, demonic, and some of it 
ignorance and some of it jealousy. Well, jealousy, of course, is what's driving anti-Semitism today. And it's going to culminate with that great Holocaust during the tribulation period. You've been listening to the voice of Brandon House. He has his own ministry, Worldview Weekend, and you can find that on the website. I appreciate the opportunity Brandon gives me to be with him each week. This has not been a Middle East News update with David Dolan. We, we hope to have him back next week with us. But, Brandon, thank you very much for drawing attention to anti-Semitism in this world, which is leading ultimately to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Well, thank you for covering it, and thanks for having me on. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Itamar Marcus standing by. Itamar Marcus heads up Palestinian Media Watch. We're going to be talking about the Palestinian summer camps and how that's being used against the Jews as well. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here in Temporary Studios in Florence, South Carolina. We're going to be here all day Sunday for a one-day prophecy conference with Pastor Bill Monroe. Bill and I go back a long time ago. I've been coming to the Florence Baptist Temple maybe for almost 20 years now, either every year or every other year, and we're looking forward to teaching the prophetic Word of God. Man, I have to keep getting new messages. When you come back that often, you have to have something new for the people. Well, I do, and we'll be getting together at 10.30 on Sunday morning and then 6 p.m. for the evening worship service. Bring your Bibles. Come study with us the prophetic Word of God. Well, let me now go to the man who gives us all the detailed information about what the Palestinian media is saying, both the electronic and the print media. Itamar Marcus and his team monitor the Palestinian media, and the reason for that is they're telling their people one thing, they're telling the rest of the world something else. And so we always keep a check on the Palestinian media by going to Itamar Marcus. Itamar, thank you so much for giving us a few moments to update everybody listening to us about what the Palestinian media is saying. And let me get underway, if you will, with the fact that it's an annual event that takes place, the Palestinian Summer Camps. Now, that's a regular happening, but this year what they're doing is they're naming these summer camps after Palestinian terrorists. Is that the case, and why are they doing that, Itamar? That's absolutely the case. Just last week, the Palestinian Authority named 
two different summer camps after terrorist murderers, one of them a mass murderer who was responsible for a bus hijacking, took part in a bus hijacking. 37 Israelis were killed, 12 of them children. Her name is Dalal Mugrabi, and the PLO had a Dalal Mugrabi summer camp. At the same time, in another place, they had an Omar Abu Laila summer camp. Omar Abu Laila, just a few months ago, murdered two Israelis, a father of 12, and an Israeli soldier who tried to stop the murder. And again, just within a few months, they've already named a summer camp. Now you ask, why do they do this? They're teaching their children who their role models should be. They're telling their children, these killers of Israelis should be a role model. Uh, it's the worst possible way to teach values. Uh, it's by role modeling. It's by saying, these are our heroes. Uh, and by putting terrorist murderers as the heroes, they're doing the worst damage they can to the minds of these children. When, in fact, are they not really indoctrinating them to hate the Jewish people and honor the people who are killing the Jews today and put this in the mind of a child 6 or 8 or 10 or 12 years of age, man, you're going to have that child for the rest of his life thinking these same thoughts. Absolutely. These children are being taught that these are the people they are supposed to emulate. These are the people they're supposed to copy. Uh, you want to be like them. Uh, I mentioned there's a summer camp after Dalal Mugrabi who killed 37 people. In a children's school book for fifth grade Palestinian children, they also teach that everyone should be like her. Literally, they say that she, amongst others, are heroes, and they, say, and they write in the children's book, everyone wants to be like them. So this isn't new, but I think, and we at Palestinian Media Watch think that it's much, much worse to teach through naming summer camps after terrorists, even than writing it explicitly in a school book. Because school books, sometimes children listen, sometimes they don't. They go to a summer camp, they see that this person is being honored, this person is, is being, uh, something's named after them, they're getting social status. The child says, well, I want to be a hero, I want social status, I want people to name things after me. And then he decides, well, when I grow up, that's what I want to do. In years past, Itamar, these summer camps have been used for training centers as well, uh, training children to be able to use a weapon, uh, to be able to understand military strategy, etc. Is that still going on in the summer camps as well? Well, we have publicized that they've trained children to use weapons. They've trained children how to use a knife by, by enacting, literally, killing with a knife. Uh, when we publicized it, the international community expressed outrage and there was pressure on the Palestinian Authority. Now, we don't know if these things are going on today because the Palestinian Authority is not publicizing them. That does not mean that they haven't cut them out. Uh, so uh, we fear for the worst. We haven't seen any real change in substance in Palestinian Authority messaging to its children, so we fear that they might be continuing with those same literally explicit messages of how to kill Israel. And people wonder how in the world the Palestinian people reject sitting down, even because of President Trump's interaction with the Israeli government and Prime Minister Netanyahu, how the Palestinian people won't even sit down and talk about the possibility of living together, coexisting in that part of the world. Uh, just before we came on the air, Itamar, I was looking at your newsletter. And by the way, folks, 
you need to sign up for Itamar's newsletter. Go to palwatch.org, P-A-L-W-A-T-C-H, palwatch.org, and you can sign up for the newsletter that he sends out periodically to get you informed of what's really being said by the Palestinian media. But as I said, I was looking at your latest letter, and I see the lead story was about honoring another radical Islamist, the Hajjaman al-Husseini, and this dates back to the time of the Holocaust and Adolf Hitler. I mean, you know, they're just training the people up in the wrong heroes, are they not? Absolutely. Hajjah Amin al-Husseini was a Palestinian who, during World War II, because he was supported Hitler, he actually left uh, British Mandate uh, Palestine at the time, and he went to Berlin where he met with Hitler, and he was an associate of his. Um, he was responsible for creating Muslim uh, SS troops. He was wanted after the war in Yugoslavia for war crimes. He was responsible for the deaths of many, many thousands of people, including 5,000 children. Uh, a deal was being worked out where 5,000 Jewish children were going to be saved. And Hajjamin al-Husseini heard about this, and he went and intervened and asked Hitler not to release those children, and he listened to Hajjamin al-Husseini. So he was responsible for thousands and thousands of deaths, and that's the person who was honored this week as well. My dear friends, that's the reason we bring Itamar Marcus to this broadcast table. That's the reason for his mission, and that is to inform the entire world of what the Palestinian media is really saying, what they mean, and they tell that to their people, and that only incites them to want to kill the Jewish people. Itamar, thank you so much for the service your team offers, and we'll continue to stay in touch with you. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you very much. A very interesting conversation with Itamar Marcus discussing the Palestinian summer camps, what they do at the camps with young people, teaching them to be warriors even at the young age of 10 years old. We'll stay on top of that story with Itamar Marcus. Well, we switch to a region of the world that is key as you think about Bible prophecy. We're talking about the European Union, our man there, John Rood, living in Brussels, Belgium for over 30 years and very knowledgeable of what's happening in that part of the world. Not only is he a journalist, but he is a student of Bible prophecy, a teacher as well. And John, it's great to have you along. I want to get right underway with the fact that the European Union has taken their first steps to punish Iran over the infractions in the Iranian nuclear plan, that plan that was put together by President Obama. What is Europe going to be doing? Well, Europe has been more in a state of appeasement of Iran. Many years ago, they sort of said, well, we have, you know, they sent a delegation to Tehran. They said, we have this basically all wrapped up, and it, it was a house of cards. So... They're doing what, what they can, but they're not doing enough of what's available. They have not triggered the dispute resolution that was baked into the Iranian deal. Iran is walking over Europe as of now, and so what is next? We see that Iran is going to really use the threat of the nuclear development. They are saying that they will uh, restart 
dismantled centrifuges. And now that they have gone across the breaching the amount of enriched uranium, now they're going to take it a step higher and even make the uranium more refined. So Europe is on the sidelines, but they've been controlled by economics. It won't be something that is easily resolved. I know that Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel has warned the European Union they need to be very strict on the Iranian enrichment of uranium, as you were talking about, because that can provide a nuclear bomb, a weapon of mass destruction, a lot quicker. Well, we talk about Brexit often. Now we have, I think, something new, Labor, the Labor Party there in Great Britain, ready to back a call for a new European Union referendum. Boy, is that true? I mean, could they go and vote this whole thing over again? The Labor Party in the United Kingdom has been pretty tricky. Uh, It's a typical opposition-type situation. Whatever the other party believes, I'm just going to say the opposite. That's the way to try to get ahead. Labor is trying to dictate terms in the future when they're not the party that's in power, so it shows you a bit of what's happening. Their stand right now has become clear that the Labor Party is really saying they would like to force the next prime minister, which certainly appears to be uh, Boris Johnson, to hold a referendum and that the Labor Party would back the Remain camp. So it's the, the oppositions are coming to the forefront. A second referendum, it almost seems like the impossible. Certainly when you have Boris Johnson in, uh, it would be against everything he's ever promised. But in the past, uh, we have the Labor Party is making big waves, and so that's something to watch. John, yesterday you were on a national radio broadcast with me, and we talked about the European Union, the role it plays in the end-time prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. And you mentioned a phrase, super state. Now that is in a headline, the European Union moving toward a super state. What does that mean? What did you mean yesterday? Yes, Jimmy, that's interesting because we we spoke and discussed super state in the European context. Then we see news coming out, you know, the EU is a sham democracy towards a European super state. The people that have been brought forth to fulfill the top positions which are coming up this fall all four top positions are going to federalists. Uh, these are the people that you know want a stronger political core for the European Union. How can that be done? How can that be done? Because there's no representation. There's no democracy. And why is it done? Because they can get away with it. I've asked myself for, for many, many years, the European Council is comprised of the heads of state. But why is it that the heads of state change, but the, the inward motion towards a super state is relentless and never changes? It's, we've seen a spirit of political union in Europe and Central Europe for not just hundreds of years, but the last few thousand years we see the progression of world empire. There is a spirit behind this unification of Europe because we have the Bible telling us that there will be an eventual ten-nation confederation in the place of the ancient Roman Empire that will 
be the ultimate power uh, center of the Antichrist. The political union is a failed prospect right now with 28 nations in the European Union. But it's not a failed project if you make the number less. Who's in, who's out of an ultimate political union? And we know that that number will eventually be 10. Boy, that was an interesting statement that you just made, a political union. We discussed the political there in the European Union for the purpose of moving to the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word, and that is an absolute. John, great report, very important information we needed to pass along to our listeners. Thank you so much. We'll do it again next week. Thank you. A very important report from John Rood covering the European Union. That's a key region in our world as we think about the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. I'm here in temporary studios in Florence, South Carolina. We're going to be at the Florence Baptist Temple with Pastor Bill Monroe. Boy, I've been here for the last 20 years, almost every year, sometimes every other year, and we just have had a great opportunity with the crowd that is at this church, 1,500 to 2,000, who come to study the Word of God with us, in particular the prophetic Word of God, which we're going to be doing all day tomorrow, a one-day prophecy conference at the Florence Baptist Temple, Florence, South Carolina. I want you to recognize the times, 10.30 a.m. in the morning, 6 p.m. in the evening, and some very important messages to talk about up-to-date information, current events that are happening, and we'll reveal what we believe the Bible says about those current events and how the urgency of the moment will come out of the study of God's prophetic word. Florence Baptist Temple, right here in Florence, South Carolina. Each weekend, we take a look at the Bible with the purpose of shedding light on current events and how these events seemingly are setting the stage, the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word to be fulfilled. Now, we're going to do that today as well, and I will remind you about the great reports that we had from our broadcast partners from around the world, and I literally mean from around the world. These reports are key for you and I to be able to understand where we are in God's plan for the end of time. If you have a moment, stay tuned, and we'll tell you about what our broadcast partners had to say, and I'll give you my prophetic perspective. By the way, if you missed any of those reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to Prophecy Today Radio Network. There we archive each and every one of these reports. You can listen to the one you may have missed or re-listen to one you would like to hear again. And do me a favor, tell a friend about these reports. Your friends need to understand what is happening in this world. These broadcast partners give us outstanding reports. Again, the location, prophecytoday.com. Then go to Prophecy Today Radio Network. Well, right now, I'm going to bring to this broadcast table 
a longtime friend, a man who has, well, he's been on radio for a number of years. He's been on several times with me. Boy, I think that's uh, five or six years ago that we got together. He has his own national radio broadcast through the Moody Broadcasting Network entitled Land of the Bible Radio. And he has many times been leading tours into Israel. In fact, he's only one of about three or four Christians that are actually qualified by the Israeli government to be tour guides there in Israel. I'm talking about Dr. Charlie Dyer. He was at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was the provost there, went to Moody Bible Institute, head of the Bible department right there, still associated with Moody Bible Institute, by the way. But now he's out in the Arizona, the Phoenix, Arizona area, and associate pastor of a church, still doing much of his other activities as well. Charlie, man, it is great to talk with you, my good friend. And really what I called about, and you and I, before we got together, we're talking about how UNESCO has finally made Babylon, the literal city of Babylon, on the shores of the Euphrates River, about 58 miles out of downtown Baghdad. They've made Babylon a world heritage site. Now that's key, is it not, Charlie? I think it is, Jimmy, and it's always good to be back with you, by the way. But I think it's finally acknowledging the uh, the role that Babylon played in history. And certainly those of us who love the Bible know that. It's the first city built following the flood. Uh, it's the first of the empires that God named Gentile empires that would exist, of four that would rise uh, before God's kingdom shows up here on earth. Uh, so it's played a mighty role in history. They're acknowledging it. Of course, we know there's another role to be played still in the future, but uh, that's still to come. Yes, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. This Babylon in Iraq, 4,500 years ago, it was built by Nimrod. That's Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4. Went in the face of God. God said to be fruitful, multiply, and repeople the earth. Great-grandson of Noah said, God, forget that. I'm going to build a great city here. And that was the city of Babylon. Now, you know a lot about it, and let me tell everybody why you do. Charlie is one of only one of two, maybe, Christian leaders in our world that's ever been to the literal city of Babylon. A- am I correct? You've been out there a couple of times, haven't you, Charlie? I was there twice. In fact, I was in a, a guest, I put that in quotation marks, of Saddam Hussein, who, who issued this uh, invitation for the first and second Babylon festivals uh, that the government of Iraq held. And I uh, got a chance to uh, see the city as he was trying to fashion it in his own image, of course, picturing himself as the new Nebuchadnezzar. But yeah, there were, uh, there were only, uh, in fact, I was the only believer the first time, and there was one other believer there the second time uh, that got to uh, view what he was doing there and how he was rebuilding it. Well, I've got to remember when I was uh, one of the teachers on the Day of Discovery broadcast with Marty Hahn. We had our tickets already. You were going to go with us. And then they hung those four servicemen on that bridge out there in Iraq. And we had to cancel that trip. But I was salivating. I, I envy you so much. You've been there. You've seen it. You saw what Saddam... Actually, what was Saddam doing? He spent millions of dollars trying to refurbish it, didn't he? Oh, he did. Uh, he, he was building uh, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, but doing it in a way that pointed not to Nebuchadnezzar, but to him. I, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had his name on the bricks, so Saddam Hussein put his name on the bricks. He was building on top the original foundations. Uh, he built a, 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 had a had a symbol for the festival that uh, had Nebuchadnezzar's portrait and his portrait side by side, 
and he even designed it so that Nebuchadnezzar looked something like him. When you were there, was it as refurbished as it is today? I know the New York Times has been following this story as well, and they have some uh, actually video footage of what has been going on, what is completed out there. Uh, But uh, after you were there, they had that war, and there were some U.S. troops that went in there, messed up some of the original payment. In fact, the Department of Defense has been paying Iraq for repairing those uh, bricks that were there in that original uh, location in Babylon. Has it been refurbished much more? Have you been able to get reports about that? Yeah, I've actually been trying to follow it. When I was there in the last time, they had built, a, in one year's time, built a monumental hill, actually three of them, surrounding Babylon. Uh, after that, Saddam Hussein put a palace on the first of the hills, the one right above Nebuchadnezzar's palace. But beyond that, uh, then, of course, the first Gulf War uh, delayed his plans. The second Gulf War removed him from power. But everything that I saw is still there, and uh, really nothing else has been built uh, what I found interesting, if people are familiar with Google Earth, if they go on Google Earth, find Al-Hilla in Iraq, go straight north to Babylon, the latest image they have is from uh, about 2004. They still, You can still see the American and Polish, they were combined forces, army camp, just south of Nebuchadnezzar's palace, and, uh, and then just over by the uh, theater that was built by Alexander the Great. And uh, just above that, you can actually see still the helicopters that we had uh, and their landing strip. So where the U.S. forces and the Polish forces were, you kind of interjected the modern. But otherwise, everything that's on that Google Earth image is everything I walked through back in 1987 and 1988. Just keep rubbing it in, will you, Charlie? <laughs> Boy, if there's one thing I want to do... Jimmy, I still want to get back. Yeah, well, I'd love to go with you, man. That's the top of my bucket list. And even at my age, I think I could... With a cane and crutches and everything else, make it over there. I'd love to see it. By the way, that gives me a question I want to ask you. Do you think that Babylon is going to be able to be restored and become a very important tourist location? Not a terrorist, but tourist location for visitors to go there someday? You know, short term, I hope that's what happens. Uh, You know, obviously, Iraq itself needs to get stabilized and uh, to do that, I think they need to make sure they get the Iranian influence out of that country. But if they could stabilize the government there, uh, they could make millions and millions of dollars off of tourism. Uh, who, who among us Christians wouldn't want to go see uh, Ur of the Chaldees, Babylon, and Nineveh? That would be a, a, on everybody's must-visit tour site. But, again, that's not going to happen until they get some more uh, stability in that country. I just hope that's sooner rather than later. You alluded to, in the first of our conversation, the future as it relates to Babylon. I want to get to that. Many people, when you talk about Babylon, say, well, Babylon was destroyed in Daniel chapter 5. No, that was the Babylonian Empire destroyed. You go over there into about 200 years later when uh, there was a leader, Alexander the Great, in Babylon, the literal city of Babylon. And then when you go to Ezra, in Ezra chapter 7, he left Babylon to go to Israel to reinstitute the temple practices. And I believe that First Peter chapter 5 verse 13 says the apostle Peter didn't go to Rome. He went to Babylon to establish a church out there. And so that now leads me then with that history. Uh, the fact is that Revelation 18 talks about a literal Babylon. I would agree with that. Would you not? Oh, absolutely, and and I think that uh, Jeremiah 50 and 51 
and even Isaiah 13 and 14, they, they all picture Babylon in the day of the Lord, the end times, when Israel's going to be restored to its land, when God's going to set up his kingdom. That's when Babylon, it says, is going to be destroyed. John comes along in Revelation, quotes those old prophecies, and says exactly the same thing. It's Babylon being destroyed, Revelation 18, Jesus returning to earth to set up his kingdom, Revelation 19. So we even have the timeline, uh, the, the rebuilding of Babylon, the energy that's going to go into that city, is going to be part of that last seven-year period just before Jesus returns to earth. Did you hear that, folks? Just before Jesus returns to this earth, Babylon, the major political, economic, governmental capital of the world with the Antichrist at the head of that operation. And now UNESCO, the United Nations, recognizing that Babylon is a world heritage site. Charlie, what a great conversation to be able to get back with you. Man, we're going to have to do this more often. And as things happen out there in Babylon, I'll get you on the line. But I appreciate you taking some time right now to talk with us about it. This is exciting information, not only for today, but the future as well. Right, Charlie? Oh, it really is, Jimmy. And it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. We'll talk again real soon. Uh, Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to have one more guest, David James. We're going to be talking about Uganda. He's on the ground in Uganda. We'll talk with David James about the Muslim growth in Africa. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. If you'll stay tuned for this half hour, you'll have given us 90 minutes. That's what we ask for at the beginning. 90 minutes will help us give you information about those current events around this world. We talk to our broadcast partners to get insight and more details on these current events. And then you put that together with the Word of God, and you can see where we are in God's time. So glad you could join us in just a moment. David James is going to come to the broadcast table. He's still in Africa. Today, he's in Uganda. He was last week in Ethiopia. We're going to talk about the spread of Islam in the continent of Africa and how that is setting the stage for the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. A number of the enemies of the Jewish state out of Africa will join that alignment of nations. David James will have that report in just a moment. I want to remind you that I'm at the Florence Baptist Temple all day Sunday, a one-day prophecy conference. We're here in temporary studios in Florence. Pastor Bill Monroe inviting everybody to come join us. The meeting on Sunday morning, 10.30, and then 6 p.m. in the evening. Come and let's study the prophetic Word of God. I would love for you to answer my poll question. It's located on my home page at my website, prophecytoday.com. If you go there, scroll down the left-hand column, and you'll find the question. Here's the question. In light of the prophecy of Revelation 18, which reveals the rise to power of the Antichrist in a literal city called Babylon, located in modern-day Iraq, 
and then the total destruction of Babylon, as foretold in Revelation chapter 16, verse 17, and following, could the decision by UNESCO to recognize Babylon as a world heritage site be setting this biblical and prophetic event in place for a soon-to-happen event? Now, that's the poll question. Please answer it and let us know what you are thinking. And while you're at the website, visit Joshua Travel to find out about all of our tours, eight of them we do each and every year in Israel and the lands of the Bible. And that's at Joshua Travel, located on my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to this microphone David James. Each and every week, David and I get together for a conversation where we take an issue that is confronting the church, the body of Christ, a Christian, and we endeavor to give you a biblical perspective on that particular issue, which will assist in your daily walk with the Lord. Well, last week we were talking with David at a conference in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and this week he's still in Africa for a second week, but this time in Uganda. David, are you going to stay out in Africa for the next year, or what are you doing, buddy? Well, right now my plan is to head home on Tuesday evening around midnight, but uh, for right now I'm in Uganda for the sixth time that I've been here all together, and it's actually the second of three times just this year. I shall have one more trip coming up in September as I return, and I'm teaching for a school called the National Theological College and Graduate School that meets on the Word of Life Uganda campus where I normally teach. And this week I'm teaching Christology, the Doctrine of Christ, and Soteriology, the Doctrine of Salvation, for this school's undergraduate-level program, and it's a new course for me, and to be honest with you, it's massive. I have 33 hours I have to teach in just seven days, and it's a new ministry partnership for me as well and for the Alliance for Biblical Integrity, and it's one that I'm very excited to be a part of. Well, I'm glad that we could sneak in a couple of moments here to have our normal weekly conversation. Before we move in, though, however, to our main topic... I would like to ask about your ministry with this other school that you've just started working with. How did you get connected with them, and how does it fit in with the Word of Life Bible Institute since it meets there at the same location? Well, the National Theological College and Graduate School is an accredited school based out of North Carolina that offers undergrad, graduate, and postgraduate degrees in modular format in Egypt, in Lebanon, in Jordan, and here in Uganda. And right now there are over 25 professors working with this school, and so they rotate through the program and through the different locations. You know, it's great that ministries can work together. They have a different operation but they come together partnering and training up especially young people to be able to go out into ministry, should the Lord tarry. Well, this week, earlier this week, actually, I hosted another radio broadcast called Stand in the Gap Today, and I had you, David, as one of my guests to discuss Islam in Africa. So I'd like to deal with that issue on today's program as sort of a follow-up to our discussion last week concerning Ethiopia. So let's get started, and maybe you could give us a sort of a thumbnail sketch of the present situation with Islam on the African continent. Sure. Well, it's 
claimed that Muhammad began receiving the Quran from the angel Gabriel in 610 A.D., and his teachings spread into North Africa uh, not long after that, and so this was the first region to be impacted by Islam outside the Middle East. Now, today there are approximately 1.8 billion Muslims in the world, and approximately a third of those live in Africa, and actually almost 50% of Africa's population is Muslim, with the highest concentration, obviously, in the northern third of the continent. There are 12 countries that make up that northern third of Africa, and I guess you could call them the Saharan countries, and their Muslim populations total over 280 million people, if you can believe that, with Egypt being the largest at around 93 million Muslims, followed by Algeria at about 42 million, and Sudan with close to 40 million Muslims. And since Ethiopia, which is where I was last week, together with at least part of Sudan, makes up what was probably the biblical region of Kush, I think it's important to add that number into the total uh, number of Muslims of northern Africa because of its role in prophecy. So that's another 35 million Muslims. Well, David, you know that's a lot of people, and in fact, that would be a major part of the prophetic scenario Uh, the bottom line of those who will uh, form a coalition to attack the Jewish nation of Israel will be the Islamic world. David, since you're there in Uganda this week, I think it would be very interesting for our listeners for you to give us some insight into the situation there with Islam and the relationship between Christians and Muslims in that country. Well, it is interesting. Actually, as I was speaking with you in the stand in the Gap broadcast a couple of days ago, I was hearing you in one ear while I was hearing the Muslim call to evening prayer in the other ear, and since we're seven hours ahead of you here in Uganda. The total population of Uganda is just under 40 million people with over five million of those being Muslim, which comes out to about 14%, and then about 84% of the population would be uh, Christian of some kind with extreme Pentecostal and the charismatic believers, or at least those who would call themselves Christians, having a tremendous influence throughout the country. Now, Islam actually came to Uganda much later than to the rest of northern Africa, arriving in the mid-1800s, probably just before Christianity came toward the latter part of the 1800s. Actually, a report came out in December of last year in the Washington Times that carried the title, Ugandan Christians Live in Fear of Minority Muslims on a Quest for Conversions. And the article began with the story of a 12-year-old boy who was in a hospital in eastern Uganda because he had been attacked by Muslim extremists who had attacked him for refusing to convert to Islam. And they had told him this. They said, Islam is a good religion. Please convert, we will not kill you, and you will go to paradise. And according to World Watch Monitor, Christians in eastern Uganda are among those facing the most serious danger in the world from Islamic persecution. Now, where I'm at, in east, east of Entebbe and south of the capital of Kampala, I've never felt unsafe, and I know of no problems, but there are places that are problem for Christians. Well, and that's exactly what I wanted to talk about and focus on the entire continent. We'll get to that in just a moment. But there's a very interesting growth in the Islamic world there all across the African continent. Last week when you were in Ethiopia, we talked about Ethiopia's role in the future prophetic scenario that's laid out there in God's Word. 
Now, I do recognize that the word Cush, found in Genesis chapter 10, and referring to as one of the sons of Ham, referring to the area of Ethiopia, but also, I would believe, considering the activities in all of that part of Africa, the Sudan and Somalia as well, a portion of all of that included in that scenario as found in Ezekiel 38 and Daniel chapter 11. For those listeners who may not have been with us last week, David, maybe you could briefly explain that again and then touch on how the other countries in northern Africa fit into the bigger picture related to that scenario. Well, you mentioned the Ezekiel 38-39 war, and that involves a coalition of Islamic nations that will come against Israel in the future, led by Gog of Magog, which is likely Russia, and their goal will be the total destruction of Israel, who at that time will be protected by Antichrist and the armies of the revived Roman Empire. Since the passage in Ezekiel describes Israel as living in peace in unwalled villages at the time of the attack, I think this is going to be after the rapture of the Church and after the affirmation of the Daniel 9 Treaty. And there are nations in northern Africa that include Libya that would be involved with that. We need to understand that these nations of the South that make up part of this Islamic coalition didn't necessarily have to be the clear geopolitical boundaries that we have today, but are instead regions that could encompass larger areas. And when we think about putting all of that together with Mizraim, which was Egypt and Kush and Put, Ethiopia, all of these things together, we could be talking about an army just from the south part of around 200 million Muslims spread across multiple countries today that will come against Israel in those days. So therefore, we can see how this coalition, this alignment of nations is forming even in Africa. And it's so exciting to me, David, to have you on the ground there in Ethiopia and Uganda and reporting the report that you are helping us to understand how close we may well be to that end time scenario. David, today as we wrap it up, I'd like for you to touch on a final point, if you will, and that is how you see ministries like yours and others and ours having an impact and why they're important in light of what we know is going to happen in that region of the world and perhaps not too distant into the future. That's a great question. I think there are several reasons why it's important that we're doing this. First of all, we believe that the time could be short, as you said, and the Lord could return uh, for His Church at any moment within the rapture, and we don't want anyone to be left behind, whether they be Muslim, Jews, nominal Christians, or those in tribal religions in the region. Uh, second, we are focusing our time, experience, and resources on training nationals in the region to reach their own people. While all of us have have cross-cultural experience, and with most of us being Americans, we'll just never be as effective as those who have grown up in Uganda or Ethiopia or Egypt or Jordan or any of the other countries where we work. And I think another important factor is that we also provide a way for other believers who will never travel here to have an important part of what the Lord is doing in other parts of the world. So what we're doing requires a lot of prayer and financial support, not only with our travel expenses, but in some cases we're helping those students uh, who come as they travel with their travel costs and room and board uh, when they're at the various locations. So if any of our listeners might be interested in partnering with us, I'd love to hear from them, and it's certainly a worthwhile thing to be involved with in these last days. 
How about giving us that website address there for your ministry so they could do that? Sure. It's the Alliance for Biblical Integrity, and the website is biblicalintegrity.org, biblicalintegrity.org. And, of course, each and every one of us could pray for David and his partners out there in Africa and all across the world where David has ministry, teaching young people what God's Word has to say, especially about the end times. David, our prayers are with you. Have a great time and journey's mercies as you travel back home early this next week. We'll talk to you probably, I guess, next time in the United States. Lord willing, that's where I'll be. We're going to take a break right now, and when I come back, I'm going to open up the Bible, take a look at the book as it relates to all these very important reports we have received from our broadcast partners. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we've had some great reports from our broadcast partners around the world. For example, Charlie Dyer gave us a report on the literal city of Babylon and the decision made by the United Nations as it relates to Babylon. Indemar Marcus spoke of the Palestinian summer camps, what they're doing to train Palestinian children up to hate the Jewish people and then use weapons of war to try to kill them. And David James, one of our broadcast partners, regular on the broadcast, was on the ground in Uganda. He was reporting on the spread of Islam in the continent of Africa. 
and how many of these African nations will be a part of the alignment of nations that will come against the Jewish state of Israel in the end times to try to wipe them off the face of the earth as foretold in Bible prophecy. I'll get to these reports in a moment, but I need to let you know if you had to miss any of these reports, how you can go listen to them. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you will find that these reports have been archived, ready for you to be able to listen to them. And do me a favor, please be sure to tell a friend about these reports. They need to hear them as well. Now let me rehearse these reports and give you a prophetic perspective. Ken Timmerman, he reported that Iran has set up a command center at the Syrian-Iraqi border so that Iran and Iraq can send missiles at Israel. Iran and Iraq will both be major players in the end times. In that seven-year period of time, Iran will play a key role as an alignment of nations that will try to destroy the Jewish state within the first six months of the tribulation period. That's found in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 5, where Persia is modern-day Iran. And then Iraq, they will be at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, Iraq is what we know as biblical Babylon, but Babylon will be the headquarters for a one-world economic political governmental system that will be headed up by the Antichrist, totally destroyed in one hour when Jesus Christ gets ready to come back to the earth. David Dolan, we were not able to get a hold of him today. So Brandon House was able to sit here at the broadcast table, and we talked about the rise of anti-Semitism around the world, and in particular here in America. This, by the way, led to the first Holocaust in World War II with Adolf Hitler and his Nazis who killed six million Jews. There will be another Holocaust, a one worse than the first, That's foretold in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8, where it says, During the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, two out of every three Jews will be killed. At the present number, that would be over eight million Jews that will be killed during the tribulation period. By the way, that one-third that will be left, they will turn to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Edomar Marcus gave us a look at the Palestinian media. He and his team monitor the media, the electronic and the print media. And Edomar talked about the summer camps, which is an annual event for the Palestinian children there in the Palestinian territories. Now, these camps are named for terrorists, and a terrorist can only have a camp named after him or her if they have killed Jewish people. This put in place the naming of the camps after terrorists so that the children will understand who the heroes of the Palestinian people are. They'll train the children up to honor these terrorists and want to be exactly like them when they grow up. And then in these same summer camps, they'll be training the children, little children from 10 to 20 years of age, how to use weapons of war and the strategy of war so they can be prepared, the next generation who will go against the Jewish people. 
John Rood covers the European Union for us, and he talked about a headline, the European Union becoming a super state. Well, that's a key report. The European Union will become what we know to be, in Bible prophecy, the revived Roman Empire. And ultimately, in prophecy, that is a super state. The revived Roman Empire playing a key role in the tribulation period. The super state, or the revived Roman Empire, mentioned in Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and then explained in Daniel 7, verses 23 and 24. It's talking about the ten horns. You can read about that in Daniel 7 and also in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. And then we had a broadcast partner I was so glad to have with us, Charlie Dyer, a longtime friend of us right here on Prophecy Today. He's been on the air as a broadcast partner with us, but this time he came to report that the United Nations and their agency, UNESCO, has recognized Babylon as a World Heritage Center. Now, Babylon is that biblical name of a city that was built on the shores of the Euphrates River, today about 58 miles out of downtown Baghdad. Babylon is still alive. Daniel chapter 5 reports the fall of the Babylonian Empire. Ezra 7 says that's where Ezra was living before he went back to Jerusalem. Alexander the Great headed up the Grecian Empire there. And 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 13, Peter started a church in Babylon. Revelation 18 talks about Babylon coming to power and then being destroyed. In fact, Revelation 18, verses 10, 17, and 19 says that the city of Babylon will be destroyed in one hour. And that's Revelation chapter 16, starting with verse 17. David James, by the way, on the ground in Uganda, we talked about the spread of Islam across the African continent and who the players in Africa will be in that alignment of nations. That would include Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, Egypt, and Libya. This all a part of the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. And everything that our broadcast partners brought to the table is absolute tangible evidence that we are living in the time of the next event on God's calendar of prophetic events. That's the rapture of the church. And that rapture could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.